What were you doing at 18, Fab? Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian McCourt. 67 days, one game, one goal, one big pint of wine. And then like that, he was gone, underground. No one may ever see him again. He becomes a myth, a spook story that managers tell their kids at night. If you drink a pint of wine like that and slag off your employers like that, the newspapers will get you. So goodbye, Sam. It's been a hell of a ride. Here to talk about all of that and more is Nico Durbin. Hi. Lewis Ambrose. Hello. And Fabian Gorsler. Yo. Before we get started, gentlemen, I have a quick request for our listeners. If you could find it in your hearts to go to iTunes, give us a rating and leave a comment to let us know what you think. Nico said he will bring you out for a beer next time you're in Berlin. Oh, absolutely. Thanks, Nico. And maybe Fabian will offer up a hug or something like that as well to go with it. Let's see what I can do. Okay. So where do we start with this big Sam story? Lewis, maybe you could give us a quick recap for those who for those at the back who may have missed out okay sure i don't think anyone's really missed this no but it's nice to it's get pretty it, big but yeah it's nice to get the story um, going so the telegraph undertook a 10-month investigation into corruption in english football and sam allardyce was one of those who fell into the trap he met with through a friend introduced to a friend met with journalists posing as middle eastern businessmen looking to invest in football um with his agent and his financial advisor and he told them that there were ways to, quote, get around rules on third-party ownership, which is banned now by FIFA around the world, but since 2008, banned by the FA in England. Um, yeah, he said it wouldn't be a problem. Not a problem at all. Uh, bear in mind that those are rules put in place by his now employer. Yeah, so he sort of agreed to fly four times to Asia uh, in an ambassadorial role. Uh, for £400,000. I, I think the money is irrelevant, but we'll come to that. Um, £400,000, bonuses for things like public speaking, and generally give advice on how to bend rules put in place by the FA on football transfers. Then said that it happens everywhere, so it's not really a problem. Don't worry about it. He went to a second meeting, I think like a week ago, um, he was advised by his agent not to attend the second meeting, but did anyway, and spilled more secrets, uh, chatted more horrible things about his employers, who they've employed in the past, some decisions they've made with regards to the FA, uh, with Wembley, things like that. Even spoke about the royal family, which seemed a bit weird. Um, yeah, so Big Sam lost his job. Um, Fabian, you think it was the right decision? I think so. I mean, you know, Lewis said he's employed by the FA now. and he oh, was, was, was employed by the FA. Yeah. Was, yes, correct. <laughs> was employed by the FA. And as manager of the English national team, he's, you know, it's not just a club. It's a, it's a whole country. He's representing the best players, the best team in the country, as well as his employers and the nation. And if he gets caught up in a scandal and I'm sure I'm sure there was something in his contract about scandals I think it was totally the right decision to get rid of him because the faith was lost in him and the FA would look like idiots if they kept him Lewis you agree yeah he completely undermined his employers um he worse than that went around their backs and was t were telling people how to get around rules put in place by his employers um his position was pretty much untenable at that point. And we have to bear in mind as well that 
these Telegraph investigations are still ongoing. There are more things set to be released over the next few days. And if they didn't punish Big Sam, the FA, how could they punish anyone else when things come out afterwards? It set a precedent and they had to get rid of him. Yeah, and I mean, he he might not even have done anything illegal yet. You know, we don't know. Lewis said they're they're still releasing stuff. So we obviously don't know what he has done or has not done, allegedly. But um, he talked about it, and and the image thing is just so big for me that I think uh, it was totally in. They were totally in their rights to let him go. Um, I agree. Actually, um, they were obviously in their rights to let him go. First of all, um, second of all, I think though that the issue here is bigger than just the, the uh, national coach of uh, the three lines, right? Um, and I think the FA is aware of the fact that this is just the beginning, not just of the investigations and so on. They know that there will be more and more that's coming through um, to, to public and will become public uh, information. So I think it was definitely the right step to cut loose the first big public scandal so they don't have to to deal with that and wait a bit until the water is is flat again to then announce somebody new because they know that there are many people in their own roles probably as well who done similar things i disagree with all three of you on this in that he was arrogant for sure he was greedy he probably should have noticed that the guy had a gopro on his head when he was talking to him. But um, he, to, for me, other than suggesting about the third party ownership, he hasn't done anything wrong. His, he made it absolutely clear that before he would commit to the speaking in the Far East, that he would have to check with the FA. Fine. He made it abundantly clear that he was in no way part of the bone culture. And he said, let me quote here, you don't even think about it. You can't go there anymore. You can't pay a player. You can't pay a manager. You can't pay a CEO. So he clearly distanced himself from all that bone culture. And the comments about the FA and Wembley and Hodgson um, and the Royals are unwise and maybe a bit stupid, but I don't think they're a sackable offence. He was caught up. He distanced himself from the bone culture. But then very clearly and explicitly said, you can't go there anymore. And a decade ago, he was caught up. He was accused by um, by the Panorama documentary of being involved in bungs in English football. Um, he was cleared. He was cleared, but he was accused. It, it, it leaves a mark against the name. And when the FA know that, I think that has to come into their thinking, even subconsciously. Um, and the other thing about him running everything by the FA... He he attended a second meeting discussing dates he was available to go to Hong Kong and Singapore for these talks. Um, obviously hadn't run it by the FA yet. And running it by the FA is one thing. Oh, I'm going to go for some ambassadorial meetings. I don't think he was going to disclose to the FA that he was going to go and pick up nearly half a million pounds to tell people how to get around FA rules, which, you know, oh, I'll run it by the FA to make sure I can... Go over there. Well, well, not. I'll run it by the FA and actually tell them what I'm doing. Well, let's be clear. He wasn't. There's no suggestion that he was going to go and tell them that this is the way to get around the rules. What he was saying is that he was going to go over there and be a keynote speaker. Something he repeatedly said. It was one of my favourite comments of the whole thing was that I'd be a keynote speaker, a keynote speaker. He just kept repeating this on all the time. Um, <clears throat> yeah, of course that's right. A keynote speaker. At the same time, if you want to put it that way, people get invited to a coffee 
you know, if they do accept certain monies. So maybe he maybe he was also smart enough to to not use completely wrong terminology. Um, but that's a different discussion. I think you're right on paper to some extent, Ian, um, with your arguments. Um, I think, though, I still think that the FA made the right decision um, when it comes to the actual squad, when it comes to the national team, and that if they want to have success in the next tournament, they need to be able to play without scandals um, and without being um, um, dis under discussion with the big newspapers week by week. They just need their piece and they need a coach that, that has the control over it. Um, do you think the players care about that? I, I don't think they do. But you know, you know how um, newspapers can put pressure on a coach and on a team. And I think DFA went through <laughs> some tough years recently. And so it was for for the sake of a new start, I think, that they cut loose uh, um, Elodice immediately. Now. They've also made a rod for their own back because their next manager is going to have to be whiter than white. Yeah. It's not, I mean, given the other revelations that have come out with the Telegraph, that's going to be particularly hard. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Did anybody have any qualms over the ethics of the journalists in question? No. And their methods? They, they've undertook a 10-month investigation. Um, I think calling it un entrapment is unfair. They, they, they haven't targeted Allardyce. There wasn't a meeting only with Allardyce. He was there with his agent, his financial advisor, three very successful adults. Um, he wasn't coaxed into something. They obviously there was a hunch. They didn't. You don't undertake a ten-month investigation and go for the England manager if you don't have suspicions, tips already. Um, and then you, it's a story of public interest. It's important. It's an important story, a huge story for English football from the top right to the bottom. And then it's their their journalistic duty to investigate it and get the story. I don't think they did anything wrong. I think it's brilliant work. Okay, well, Gareth Southgate will be in charge for the next four games, even though he already said he's not interested in taking the job. And not ready. And not ready. Yeah, he did say that. Uh, but who do we want to see in the as the next English manager? Can I give you some odds before you get going there, Lewis? You look like you're about to say something. I just thought you were going to come to me. No, the, no, no. no. I, I will come to you, but I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you some odds that we can all have a bit of a laugh at. Steve Bruce, two to one. <laughs> Steve Bruce, Lord. <coughs> Glenn Hoddle, it is, it is a bit embarrassing, isn't it? Um, Glenn Hoddle, a man who hasn't worked in the game for about 50 years and hasn't managed a team for about 50 years, is 6-1. to one. Alan Pardew, a team who's, you know, a man who's Crystal Palace, you know, sunk faster than a stone last season. He's 8-1. to one. Eddie Howe, a man with no big game experience, is 8-1. to one. And then after that, you get your Wengers and your Klinsmans and your Sean Dykes at 20 to 1. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Harry Redknapp, 22. And my favourite of all, and I can but pray that this happens, is Tim Sherwood at 66 to 1. Tactics, Tim. Tactics, Tim. Um, I like that Harry Redknapp's there. He's always there, isn't he? No, I just like that this is the reason Sam Allardyce has gone and then Harry Redknapp's one of the candidates to take over. Yeah, that would be um, would be a nice irony in that. You said whiter than white. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, 
I said after the Euros when we were here that I think Eddie Howe is the best English manager and certainly the English manager um, with the best prospects, like a young, forward-thinking manager, but he's not ready. And giving him the job now would possibly ruin him yeah. and ruin the chance of England having a very good Eddie Howe in five or ten years' time. Yeah, I'm inclined to agree. So um, if with Howe out of the running... Yeah, so I'd probably at this point just like to see England not play international football for a few years <laughs> until the right candidate comes up. Just just withdraw from all competitions. Um, I think the FA are probably hoping that Southgate, he, he'll probably take over, certainly for the next international break, almost definitely the one in November as well. Um, they're probably hoping he does a good enough job that they can keep him to the end of the season and then... Maybe if he keeps doing a good job, keep him afterwards. I mean, prove himself on the job. Hodgson won 10 out of 10 qualifying games, so it means nothing if Southgate wins his matches at the moment. But I think that's the easiest way out for the FA at this point. Hodgson's available. (laughs) Could get him back. Uh, And just when we thought things had quietened down after the big Sam thing, eight Premier League managers have been accused of taking bungs. This is a bigger story than Allardyce, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think this whole scandal, if you can call it that, or investigation, is quite interesting because you've seen other sports have their respective scandals. You had American football with with the unsafe nature of the sport and a lot of deaths. You had cycling, or you still have cycling with um, the doping, and now you have this in English football. And with how much money there is in football... I'm inclined to think that it's not just restricted to England. And, um, you know, it kind of begs the question, is this like something that that football needs to like, you know, does it need this big scandal to kind of purge itself of all these wrongdoings and bad things? Um, (laughs) A short answer. Yes. Yes. To both of your questions. Yes, it is everywhere not just in england let's face the truth it's it's sad but true um we had it in germany um with the world cup 2006 the scandal everything uh, comes to comes to public knowledge right now um i don't need to to uh, call any names here it's obvious that in italy there are known problems for years um and i'm i mean i don't know facts about what's wrong in Spanish football or French football, etc. But I'd be surprised if all the sponsorship deals and all the player um, <clears throat> deals would be 100%, uh, 100% by by law. They, they find loopholes and that's the way it works. That's that's money. That's not football, but that's just the way money flows. And if there's a, if there's a loophole, somebody who has interest... And, and increasing the yield finds it. I mean, it's almost like football or money in football is a bubble that is about to burst. You know, people are saying, oh, it'll never end. You know, the TV deals will get bigger and bigger. But if things like this keep happening, it could it could burst. The bubble could pop. I, I think we'll see. It'll be, it'll be a long wait for that to actually happen. And I mean, we all look at FIFA and sneer at what FIFA do, or UEFA, and then... Blatter's gone, Platini's gone, and someone exactly the same takes over again. I'm not saying the next England manager is going to be embroiled in such a case, but to eradicate this stuff from all of football when it is so widespread, it's 
institutionalised in football to get rid of it entirely seems a long way off. Well, moving on to matters more mundane, there was also some football played during the week. Um, not a huge amount to see on Tuesday. The Spurs did get a good away win over Siska and Dybala scored an absolute peach for Juventus against Dinamo Zagreb. I don't know if you saw this, Fab. Yeah, good goal, I mean, no? I mean, it was great. Long distance, top corner, beautiful. Can't, can't argue with that. You can't, but I did like Thomas Delaney's goal better for Co- Copenhagen. Oh, that was sweet. On the volley, top corner, keeper didn't even move. Really yeah. nice. Yeah, I think the keeper didn't didn't even realise it was, it was gone past them until it yeah. had. Um, one good game, though, was the Dortmund-Real Madrid, which I think we all saw. Yeah. Um, what did anybody make of this? I saw it called a classic. Wouldn't go that far. It was good fun, though. Not can, a classic. Can any group game really be called a classic? Like, it doesn't feel like it's prestige enough. No, I'm struggling to think of a group game yeah. being called a classic. What did you make of it, Lewis? Um, I thought it was fun. Uh, I thought Dortmund were excellent. The Real Madrid obviously opened the scoring, took the lead twice, but both times against the run of play, I'd say. Uh, Dortmund with a really young side, a, a year out of the Champions League. Thomas Tuchel's first ever year managing the Champions League. And they they showed really that that's where they belong to be. Um, I I agree. Um, Dortmund showed what they showed previously in the Champions League, um, and it it almost doesn't matter if there's Jurgen Klopp or Thomas Tuchel on the side, which also shows how I don't want to say similar they are, but how um, how they both manage to to prepare the team for for such matches. Um, <clears throat> Talking about the match uh, this week against Real Madrid, I think we saw that they have the courage that you need to play against such a team. They're um, defending quite um, offensively, um, almost nine players in Real Madrid's half at certain points. Um, And that shows how good of a coach Tuchel is. And uh, that also shows what he has in common with Klopp, is that they can both motivate their players, that they are courageous enough to play so offensively like that's actually what matters because they're all good players there right but just giving like in incepting that that um courage into a player's head to go ahead and play that way against Real Madrid if you're Julian Weigel or if you are um a Dembele who've not played at that level before and played that well Weigel was great Oh yeah, he was really good to watch Dembele too. I think Dembele lacks maybe a bit in decision making, but he's young and he's you know that that will come with maturity. Uh, Christian Pulisic too. Yeah, he came off the bench, sort of changed the game. Turned didn't he? eighteen last week, uh, about a week ago. He is quite fantastic. It's a bit unfair to bring a player like that off the bench against tired defenses at the moment. Yeah, um, maybe he's not ready to start every game. But yeah, that's um, that's some talent. And like you said, Weigl was absolutely mm. unbelievable. I thought playing pretty much on his own in midfield with, yeah. with Castor and Glutzer both in the side ahead of him. Weigl was just absolutely outstanding, dictating pretty much most of the match. I mean, Emre Moore came on as well. And um, I mean, it just shows the faith that Tuchel has in, in the youngsters and the faith that the team and the youngsters have in themselves as well. And it's great to watch. I mean... I don't think you can say that one team really dominated the game. I think 2-2 was very fair. But it was just great to see that end-to-end action and Madrid breaking at every chance they got and Dortmund kind of dealing with that. And It was just a wonderful game to watch. How old is Emre Moore? 
think he's 19. I 19. Yeah. Pulisic, 18. What were you doing at 18, Fab? I was actually still playing football, just not at that level. <laughs> right. Hey, Felix Passlack didn't come off the bench either. One of the stars of the youth German teams. Uh-huh. Dortmund are going to have a fun few years if they can keep all of them. Sure are. No fun for uh, Bayern at the moment. They lost 2-1-0 to Atleti thanks to a peach of a goal from Yannick Carrasco. Yeah, it was actually it was not the only good shot from distance from Carrasco. There were two or three at least that were actually quite dangerous. Uh, did you notice his hair? Um. Yeah. What, what, he's what got exactly? this sort of v in the back. Right? Yeah, he's got this sort of V-shaped thing yeah, yeah. shaved into the back of his head. Then there's a little yeah. break of a shaved in line, and then another V. <laughs> well, I don't know what he's going with. Uh, anyway, sure his goal spoiled uh, Ancelotti's perfect record since taking over at Bayern, and it was also the team's first defeat since the first leg of last year's semi-final against <laughs> Atleti. Right, Fab. I, something I was talking to you about this before. Um, well, yesterday, mm-hmm. before the before the game, you said you wouldn't watch it because you didn't like Atleti's style. I can't get over this. This was sort of ringing in my head last night. I I love to watch Atleti. I mean, it might just be, you know, me taking the stereotypes and the, 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 yeah, the stereotypes too much at heart of the, you know, the defensive kind of grinded out play that Simeone likes to to see his teams play. Um, I just, I mean, Madrid-Dortmund, that's a game that I like to watch. End-to-end action, back and forth, back and forth, you know. Um, I've got to say it, but like, you know, the the old United days where, you know, you had Tevez, Ronaldo and Rooney up front and it was just always action. It didn't matter if if the other team was threatening because they knew that they were going to score. And and that's the football I want to see. All right. Um, I agree to some extent that not all Bayern games uh, in the recent years were the most exciting. Um, but I actually thought this one was really, really interesting. Like I would not have put any money on either side um, before the match. And it kind of makes me happy, even as a German, that at Lady won. Uh, whereas I obviously want Bayern to go through and be successful in the Champions League, but it's kind of nice to see that there there are teams um, who at the end can be more efficient than Bayern Munich. And if you watch the Bundesliga every week, you think like, all right, they're just so efficient. They do everything right. They score when they have the chances. It's boring, but... Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. The efficiency, the robotic efficiency is so boring. I'd rather watch a... I, I watched Barca against Gladbach yesterday. And, you know, Gladbach were taking the game to Barcelona. And Gladbach should have scored more than one, but they didn't. But, you know, seeing those chances and, like, groaning with the crowd when they miss. And then seeing Barca just kind of have a chance every two minutes. Every time you looked away, Barca seemed to have the ball in front of Gladbach's goal. That's kind of the football that I want to see, not this efficient two chances, one goal. I'd rather I see think, 10 chances. I think Bayern are going to, they're not going to be as efficient as they were under Guardiola. They're not going to be, they're already looking in possession like they don't have such a drilled plan. Uh, they struggled at the weekend against Hamburg. The, the second half was better. The first half was really poor. Um, and to come back to Atleti, it's defensive football, but not so much. It's it's aggressive football. It's football with a lot of heart. Um, but it's you call it interesting, Nico. It, I think these games are absolutely intriguing to watch because Atleti defend well. They defend perfectly, almost, but not like any other team in Europe. No, nobody defends like that. Nobody defends that well 
um, and uh, that well drilled. And actually, it is a stereotype, I guess. We mainly watch Atleti, all of us, when they play Barcelona, when they play Real Madrid, when they play Bayern Munich in the Champions League. But you watch them every week in in La Liga, Granada and Malaga. And they play some really good football. There are some fantastic players there. And it's not all about... I think it was the year they won the league with Diego Costa up front uh, and Raul Garcia next to him. That was about strength and being completely solid but since then Griezmann, Ferrer Carrasco, Sol is in midfield now instead of Thiago most of the time. It's a really good football team. And they could have won by more last night. Paul Fernando Torres had found his heading boots. Poor Fernando. Eh? Any other Champions League business we want to talk about? Celtic had a interesting game with Barcelona. Barcelona? What do I say Celtic against Barcelona? I mean Celtic and Man City. All tactics Brendan got it right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bringing, I mean, bringing Pep's end, reign to an end. I mean, it was a great game to watch as well as a neutral six goals. Um, Your type of game, Fab. <laughs> exactly my yeah. type of game. Um, and I just, it kind of exposed a little bit the defensive frailties that Man City has. Yeah. A lot of, you know, missed clearances leading to goals like um, that, that bicycle kick that went in. There, there was, a, I think, Dembele's. Dem- yeah, Dembele's, mm-hmm. but I forget who missed the clearance. Collar off. Collar off. The cross mm-hmm. came in, and and it should have never gotten to Dembele, but it did, and it ended up as a goal. Um, but, I mean, great fighting spirit, great comeback by Man City. They came back three times. And a sensational amount of noise at yeah. uh, Celtic Park do, last night. Do you think that had an impact? Because this is a City side that so far has looked completely chilled under Guardiola, but they've not played in a raucous stadium like that and it's one thing obviously we know Guardiola wants his players to take the time on the ball to have the ball completely relaxed Um, and it's one thing doing that in front of 30,000 fairly subdued Premier League fans away from home Um, they did it fantastically in the derby against Manchester United Old Trafford but Celtic Park is something else and maybe that had an influence on the team yeah I think it did also the fact that I think um, Celtic pressed intelligently as well yeah and that's Um, something Rodgers is actually very good at it is, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I know we, people often slag off Rodgers, but he's, you know... He yeah, has... I think Rodgers is good and better than most people think he is. The problem is, Rodgers thinks he's much better than he is. <laughs> so then everyone else brings him down a few more pegs. Uh, Brendan uh, Rodgers likes Brendan Rodgers. He does. I, wonder... I, wouldn't, I wouldn't mind seeing Brendan Rodgers as the next England manager. Well, that's a shout. That's a very interesting shout. It's controversial given he's Northern Irish. I wonder how that would go down. Yeah, well, that's not my job to deal with that. So. No, it's not, no. I'd also be interested in watching that play out. Okay, a final word. Uh, Arsenal, 2-0, fairly easy. Theo Walcott looking good. Yeah, it's quite a long time since Arsenal were comfortably winning games. It's two in a row. It's quite a long time since Arsenal were playing exciting football and looking like they could score five or six in one evening, and that's two in a row. Um, so it's very nice. I think Alexis Sanchez playing up front is the big, big difference in the team. It Defences aren't sure it's a a complete intangible is he gonna run behind and if he does you can't leave any space because he's so quick you can't give him space to dribble but you also can't just let him drop into the midfield and pick the ball up unopposed and if you do follow him into the midfield you leave 15 20 yards for super quick Theo Walcott to burst into Mm -hmm. so after a few years of getting by I think Arsenal are known for playing good football I don't think Arsenal played good football like that for five or six years now um, but I think having Alexis and Walcott 
dovetailing like that is probably the way forward. Especially with Walcott now using his head. Download One Football, the most comprehensive football app in the world. So far this season, we've been neglecting our League One brethren, but joining us on the line to remedy that wrong is Andrew Gibney from French Football Weekly. Andrew, um, I got the shock of my life the other day when I checked out the League One table and discovered that after seven games, PSG are not top. But not only are they not top, they're not second or third either. What's what's gone wrong and how does Unai Emery still have a job? <laughs> it's a bit of a, sh- a shock to everyone. And uh, I think you know, one you have to give credit to teams like Nice and Monaco, the way they've started the season. Uh, Lucien Favre's done a great job in Nice. And Unai Emery, he's, he's, really, he's really struggled to to get going. You look at the way they played against Leon in the Trophy of the Champions, a season opener, and they looked breathtaking, they looked untouchable. And he's... He's changed things for the worse. He's gone to four three three, which isn't working. He, he keeps playing Thiago Mota for some reason. Uh, and the front, the front three, although they're all good individually, aren't really connecting together. And they're really struggling to break teams down. And teams seem to have a good measure of what they're going to get and how to limit their opportunities and, and try and hit PSG on the break. Is he under any real pressure? I think he definitely is, and I think. It'll more, more be he's going to be fine until I think we get to the knockout stages of the Champions League. As long as they can get through to there, and if they can keep winning, because they can beat Con six 0 and they can beat Dijon three 0 but then they go and get a beat off Toulouse, and that just ramps the pressure up. As long as they're within touching distance, I think they'll always believe they can go on a run. Uh, and I think a lot of the other league on teams lack the consistency to sort of maintain that form, but. If he doesn't get the, not just the results of the Champions League, but the performances, I think that's when the pressure will be ramped up even more. How did they, uh, how, how were they against Ludogorets last night? Uh, and they were terrible. <laughs> they were really, really bad. Uh, Ludogorets deserved, deserved the goal. They, they were doing everything that you sort of, you expected from PSG this season. They were fast, they were direct, hitting them on the break. But then the, sort of the, the difference in, uh, fitness, physicality, and sort of game uh, knowledge came through, and PSG got the win. But it wasn't it wasn't a great performance. They got a little bit lucky. Uh, Cavani's well timed header, his second goal got a deflection. With the Grets missed a penalty when it was two one. So the three one flatters flatters them quite a bit. Right, a few months ago you mentioned that defeat uh, to Toulouse. In it, PSG were reduced to ten men when Serge Aurier uh, was sent off. It's probably not yeah. the worst thing that's happened to him this week, is it? <laughs> no, that was the, the start of uh, a bad week. And, and the, the jail thing, we knew it was going. There was something that happened in, in the summer. We knew it was going to sort of come around. Uh, and I think he's probably quite lucky that it's, he's he's not gone to jail quite yet. That I mean, it, it's a possibility. I imagine he'll be he'll get sort of uh, suspended and he'll be okay. But he. That the sending off wasn't to lose. Were Boston before that even happened? That was this more a catalyst for for the second half. But yeah, they, they weren't great long before that as well, and they, they really, really struggled. They're struggling away from home, which seems to be something that Emery uh, had a problem with in Sevilla as well, and that's something he's really going to have to look at. Because when teams have belief and they have the ability to attack on the break, they're they're really causing them problems. 
Uh, just going back to Aurier for a second. Uh, he, he slagged off Blanc. He slagged, I think he slagged off Di Maria or one of one of his other teammates. Cavani, uh, uh, Cavani, yeah. Sirigu, I think as well, yeah. Does he does he have a future at the club? I mean, how many how many things can he get wrong before they they cut him loose? Well, I, I think the police thing this summer was he's the last straw. And I think he's apparently he's changed his attack and training, and then I think there's definitely some attitude problems there. That, the thing is, and I, I wrote at the time when, when it happened, the periscope thing happened, he is that good and has that big a potential that they won't sell him because they're giving someone else a fantastic right back. If if they let him go, they will do everything they can to keep him and sort of nurture him at that club because he, the ceiling is so high for Serge Aurier. He's probably one of the best, if not the best young right back in football, not even French football, I think European football. And speaking of players with uh, plenty of talent, but maybe a bit of an attitude problem, how is uh, how's Adam Ben Arfa getting along? Uh, he's not, just the honest answer. He's, he's struggled to get a game and. I think Unai Emery wants players to sort of press and fight and show commitment in training, which Hatton Ben Arthur never has. And Claude Prowell, who's now at Southampton, admitted this when he was at Nice that Hatton's not a trainer. Uh, you kind of you have to let him do what what he does during the week, and you know that he'll turn up for games and he'll bring that magic. And and you wonder why they they signed him. Knowing this, it's well documented. Everyone in France knows that he's not the best trainer, and then you're criticising him for not being the best trainer. It seems a bizarre signing in that sense. Uh, he he put on Instagram that he's up for the challenge, and then then he got injured, which was a shame. I think he would have been involved uh, on Wednesday night if not. And it's going to be really interesting now. He's 29, 29 years old. He's not he's not a spring chicken anymore. It's going to take a lot to change his whole sort of mantra. And, and Nice and Claude Pell did a great job in getting the best out of him and something has to sort of bend and change I think if he's going to be a success at Paris Saint-Germain Yeah um, well PSG may not be top Nice certainly are and that's a Nice side starring one Mario Balotelli It's amazing isn't it he's hit the ground running superbly I played two games at home in Liga he scored four goals They've sold out of uh, Balotelli shirts and these, they, they've got a new hero. Uh, I think this goes beyond what Ben Arfa did there because he was a French, the French kid going back to France and coming to Nice and he's he's been amazing. He, he's doing, he's, he doesn't have to do everything. They, they've got a young team who sort of do all the running behind them and create the chances and they're just looking for Balotelli to finish them. And so far he, he's doing it very well and was saying Favre sort of rested them for the two away games in the league to get them keep them going for the Europa League uh, on Thursday night and then and for the league again. So they're sort of keeping them under wraps a little bit and they're using them when the situation is right. And so far it's working brilliantly. Um, Andrew, so if PSG don't get going soon, Nice, Monaco, do either of them have what it takes to last the distance this season? Uh, I, th- I think Monaco probably slightly more than Nice. They've got more of the squad depth and they've got a really, really good blend of youth and experience, and even the youth players, you look at Bernardo Silva, Tom Lamar, who played amazing against Spurs in the Champions League, they've got the talent to really push PSG, and it is, it is down to whether, if PSG turn on and play the way they can play, they should win the league, but if they don't, I think Monaco are the best place uh, to really put in a challenge and hopefully sustain it all the way to the end, because they are 
a very exciting young team and a very good team to watch. Andrew, while we have you on the phone, is there anything else that we've we've missed out on in League One at the moment? Uh, it pains me to say that uh, my team, Lille, who were the champions back in 2011, are currently bottom of League One with just four points after seven games, which is a bit of a surprise to everyone because they they got to the Coupe de la Ligue final. Uh, they finished fifth last season. Uh, they dropped out of the Europa League in the qualifying stages, and now they've only won one game out of seven. And it really it, it throws back to this point last season when Erv Renard, the, the Zambia and Ivory Coast manager, was in charge, and he failed, and he got sacked. And now the man that came in, Frederick Antonetti, is really feeling the pressure he's just not getting the performances, not getting the results. And there's a really interesting uh, stat, and we keep that Lille, since they won the league in 2011, only Monaco have made more money from selling players than Lille. And you look where the both teams are right now, there's a massive contrast in how that money's been used. That was Andrew Gibney from French Football Weekly. Nice to see Mario Balotelli do so well, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, a player with tremendous talent it just proves that sometimes players really need the right situation and the the right environment to really flourish. And hopefully, I mean, it's early days still, but hopefully it continues for Mario. Yeah, I really like Mario. He seems like a good dude. He seems like a really fun guy that you would want at your wedding or your birthday party. I don't know if I'd want him setting off fireworks at my wedding. Why not? Celebrate the wedding with fireworks. Birthday party more than wedding. Okay. I think. Definitely. Yeah, I think he might be more of a birthday party dude. Okay, that's all from us today. My thanks to Nico, Fab, Andrew from French Football Weekly and our producer, Damien. If you have anything to say about this week or would like to get in touch, you can hit us up on Twitter or Facebook at OneFootball and be sure to go to iTunes and give us a rating and a couple of comments. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.